Hey, I'm Glenn Robinson, and I've spent the last 30 years as a healthcare leader and overseeing large organizations. And before that, I was in the news business. And I'm Jacob Robinson, his son. I've spent the last five years building a business and learning lessons of leadership along the way. And this is our podcast, Chasing What Matters. On this podcast, we're going to interview leaders from all walks of life and hear their stories of successes and failures and what has made them become who they are today and how their faith and families played a role in their lives and leadership styles. During these interviews, we will be discussing things from business to politics, healthcare to nonprofit, and anything in between to find out how these leaders are chasing what matters in their work and personal life. So welcome to another episode of Chasing What Matters. Hello, everyone. We're so glad that you could join us for another episode of the Chasing What Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Glenn Robinson. And I'm your other co-host, Jacob Robinson. Henry Ho is the chief strategy officer and co-founder of Field Agent. As the company's customer and technology strategist, he leads the innovation and strategic partnership development process, global customer development, and international expansion for Field Agent. Henry worked 19 years with Procter & Gamble with a broad array of assignments across the U.S. and Asia. Henry was a founding member of P&G's Global Walmart customer team in 1988 and has worked with Walmart for over 33 years. Henry's international experience includes Walmart Asia team leader, country manager of Procter & Gamble Hong Kong, and Asia region category management and shopper insights leader. After leaving P&G, Henry has been a part of multiple startups, including the North Star Partnering Group, Core 4 Research, Join LLC, and most recently, Field Agent Incorporated. Henry is also a member of the Global Endeavor Entrepreneur Network. He serves on the boards of the Stony Brook School, the Accelerate Foundation, and Joy Corps. One of Henry's main passions is investing time, energy, and resources in redemptive ventures and entrepreneurial leaders in his local community and around the world. Henry has a BS degree in computer science and business from Furman University. Henry, welcome to our show. It's great to be here with you guys. Yes. Well, Henry, we've been looking forward to this, uh, especially after, again, reading that resume. Uh, I, I feel like we've got 19 different companies to talk about uh, to get through your life story. <laughs> yeah. But let's start all the way back at the beginning. Tell us about growing up, where you're from, and what those early years were like. You know, that's, that's somewhat of a loaded question. Growing up, uh, I was born in Macau, China, uh, back in the day when it was a Portuguese colony. Uh, so uh, I was born in Macau, grew up uh, as a little kid there, moved to the United States, immigrated to the United States, uh, uh, to New York uh, in 1967, and uh, grew up as a New Yorker, uh, went to Stony Brook School uh, out in Long Island, um, and so, you know, I'm a Yankee fan. Uh, <laughs> we, listen, we won't hold it against you. Yeah, but, uh, please you know, don't. It's okay. Um <laughs> And so, uh, um, yeah, I, uh, I uh, loved my time in New York, uh, but since uh, going off to college, I've never been back uh, to, to live there. Uh, I still have family there and uh, loved uh, the time I grew up in Long Island, uh, but I've become a Southerner, you know, <laughs> heading to Greenville, South Carolina for Furman University for university, uh, and now live here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Go Razorbacks. 
Yeah, there you go. Well, Henry, tell us, uh, uh, how did you wind up choosing Furman University, a very special school in the upstate of uh, South Carolina? Yeah, I, I like to tell you it was a really strategic decision, uh, uh, you know, going to a great school, but uh, actually uh, it has something to do with a girl. <laughs> ah. Ah. Uh, what young men, you know, may not uh, necessarily uh, do, but um, no, I... Uh, I, you know, Furman uh, was a place I knew I wanted to go to school in the South and uh, learned about it. And it happened that many of my classmates from Stony Brook uh, ended up applying there. And uh, I think it was like 8 to 10 percent of my graduating class, which was a small class, uh, ended up going to Furman and uh, had a great experience there. The best thing that happened to me at Furman was I met my wife, Nancy, there. And uh, we've been married for 38 years. Uh, so... Uh, Furman is is uh, is a good place for me. Well, you know, uh, my dad and I are very familiar with Furman. Uh, I graduated high school in Spartanburg, South Carolina, so so okay. right, you know, right down the yeah. road. What, why was there such a pull from your high school uh, to Furman? Uh, what, what was that connection? You know, I I don't know. I think th there was a couple of classes ahead of me, and again, friends of mine from those classes. Uh, that applied there and came back and, and told us about how beautiful a place it is uh, and, and, you know, good academic rigor and, yeah. and all those things. Um, and, and frankly, coming from Stony Brook School, which was a Christian prep school on, on Long Island, uh, it had great campus a reputation for uh, campus ministry and all of that. Uh, yeah. It's where my faith really uh, developed after high school. I, I mean, my, I came to faith at Stony Brook School um, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, I had a couple of key guys disciple me during college. Wow. Awesome. Wow. Now, Nancy, where is she from? She, you know, she is a cheese head, uh, from Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, she's, she's from Racine, Wisconsin, born there and then moved to Florida about the same age as I, when I came to America. Uh, but she, she's a Florida girl it's in the same way I call myself a New Yorker. So uh, she's from uh, Largo, Florida, which is in that Clearwater, St. Pete area. Yeah. Um, and uh, she played tennis for Furman. Um, and I played a lot of tennis in high school. And uh, I promised my grandfather that I would. Uh, this is a really good story. So if we have time for it, uh, I promised my grandfather who taught me to play. And he had this vision that Henry would become the Michael Chang of tennis oh, wow. and uh, so I was going to marry a tennis player um, and uh, wanted to uh, have tennis kids you know and long story is I met Nancy she uh, she was from the Furman tennis team and uh, said now that's the girl you know uh, uh -huh. and uh, by God's grace uh, she agreed to marry me uh, and uh, we had four children and none of them played tennis so <laughs> we were going to make a tennis dynasty and it never happened. It's the plans of man, right? And and the plans of God that they weren't the same. Yeah. Well, the the real question here is who has the all-time record between your y'all's two matches? What is you the win-loss record? I, we you know, we're we're in our 60s now and we still play each other. She's uh, she still plays a lot. Uh, I actually she's just picking it up back up after raising kids. Uh, 
I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> fair, fair. Got it. That, prob- that probably says enough. <laughs> oh well, well, at least uh, you didn't go into it blindly. I have, I have a friend, and uh, he uh, spotted this young girl, and on uh, she uh, entered college or freshman year and he invited her to go for a jog and he had no idea that uh, she was wound up uh, there at that school because she was on a runner's scholarship and uh, <laughs> she ran him into the dirt on their very first yeah. date and so uh, so so at least you knew nancy uh, had those tennis skills from from the I, uh, go she, I, uh, let me put it this way she's improved my tennis game how's that there we go, there we go. <laughs> yes i like that well how about the first few years after college uh, what were they like you know, I went to work for Procter & Gamble uh, right out of school and started up in Cincinnati. Um, and, um, you know, Cincinnati was a, a place where I kind of grew up as an adult um, and um, and kind of learned the business, the, the world, the business, and what that was all about. And, uh, you know, those are good years. Um, you know, we were a young couple uh, trying to figure out how to uh, you know, honor each other and uh, work as partners. Um, Nancy's a school teacher. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think Cincinnati was good. Uh, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was a different town than it is today. Uh, Cincinnati's really grown a lot and a uh, really neat place to live. We lived right across the border on the Kentucky side. Um, and so uh, we worked, I worked in Cincinnati, um, and commuted every day. And, uh, we had a, we had a good church, uh, life, not a great church life. Um, and, um, wasn't until I moved, uh, to Fayetteville that this idea of faith and work and, and fully integrating that, uh, became real, uh, and learned with some great men. Uh, and went down that journey with uh, the Steve Graves and Tom Addingtons of the world. Um, we were in a group of, of businessmen that all were trying to uh, figure these kinds of things out and journey together. Well, for our friends, uh, Steve Graves, uh, Season 2, Episode 26 of Chasing What Matters podcast, uh, a great executive coach and a, and a good leader and also a great writer as well. Yeah. And, and He's a dear friend. He's a dear friend, and uh, we're about to hang out at the beach in about a week. So, uh, yeah, we our boys grew up together, and uh, uh, we we did a lot of uh, canoeing and 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 ski trips and beach trips together over the years. And so, yeah, he's a dear friend. Well, I would think too if there's any water anywhere around, Steve is also going to be wetting a hook and uh, and getting you out there on a boat somewhere. Yeah. Uh, he is he's a uh, consummate fisherman. Uh, well, now, Henry, how about uh, your career at P&G? Uh, and and uh, you wound up uh, moving uh, away and living abroad uh, during a part of your career time. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, I, I was born in Macau. And uh, when, when we moved to the States uh, and grew up in New York, I never really had a vision for going abroad and somewhere along the way at P&G, P&G was entering Asia in the, in the, uh, in the late eighties. Um, and, um, and when I was on the Walmart team, uh, Walmart was entering international, uh, their international waters into Mexico and, uh, 
and into Asia. And uh, one day I mentioned to my uh, my team leader that I would like to work international someday. And uh, and uh, before you knew it, I had an opportunity um, to get in front of John Pepper uh, while we were recruiting together at Yale and mentioned that to him as well. And before you know it, before I got back in the office, there was a note back to my, my team leader to say, hey, we want Henry to, we want to talk to Henry and can ask him to consider thinking about China. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Then I quickly got together with the VP of sales in Asia, um, and uh, he wanted me to go to uh, Beijing or Guangzhou at the time and uh, brought that idea home that night over dinner. And my wife looked at me and says, I'm not going over there. <laughs> she was one of those good supportive uh, corporate wives. Uh, and uh, I said, okay, uh, what would you consider? Because I, at that time I had gotten very, very interested in going. Uh, I said, how about Hong Kong? And she goes, maybe Hong Kong. And uh, uh -huh. so I went back and met with the VP of sales uh, in Asia and said, hey, uh, not that interested in Beijing and Guangzhou, but uh, how about Hong Kong? And he said, uh, he, he almost laughed at me. He says, Henry, Everybody wants to go to Hong Kong. We need you in Beijing and Guangzhou. Uh, and I said, well, uh, I'm going to hold out for Hong Kong. Um, um, we're still married, so, so I did the right thing. Yes. Uh, but a couple weeks later, Walmart announced they were going into Asia. And then I got the phone call back. And it was, I think, as I look back, it's how God orchestrated our lives, right? Uh, I was uniquely qualified being Chinese and having worked on the Walmart team and having uh, all of that. And, and so before you know it, we were on our look-see trip in Hong Kong. Uh, and uh, January 1st, 1995, uh, we landed in Hong Kong and started our adventure there. So now, now, did you have children at that time? Yeah, we had three children at that time, uh, six, three, and one. Um, and, um, so we had a young family packed up all our stuff, put a bunch of stuff in storage, by the way, never do that because when you come back, you never want that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we had a young family, uh, got plugged into the international school there. Um, and our, our family actually thrived in Hong Kong. Um, you know, there's two stories of when you go overseas, uh, you either thrive or the, the, the effects of changing culture can really tear a family up, and we were I, we were blessed to be to be one of those families that thrived. Um, and uh, we had a great church, we had some great friends, um, and really, uh, my church uh, in Fayetteville at the time really commissioned me as a businessman missionary uh, to go to go into Asia into China, and. Um, I, I always tell people if I, I had one regret um, from my international assignment over six years is that I, I really wasn't an international min, uh, missionary at the time. And uh, I came back uh, in 2000 and looked back in the time and said, you know what? Our church was good. Church life was good. Our family life was good. My job was good. But it never really went out and extended and sacrificed to become a missionary into 
um, parts of Asia. So I, God was stirring my heart at that time. And, uh, and uh, that's, uh, that's when I think the, the vision for what we're doing now uh, really occurred. You know, those different parts of, um, of my background have come together and I had this one regret. Um, and I think it was, it was, it wasn't a profound regret. It was just like, I had an opportunity. I was over there and, uh, I was just so ca- caught up in just raising a family and, you know, working life. Um, you know, the expat life is, it's very interesting when you work for a global company based in the U.S. You kind of work night and day. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you do your work on, um, during the day in Asia, and then you do a lot of calls and, and things back uh, to a corporate. And uh, so, yeah, it took, it took a lot out of it, uh, out of me uh, during that time. But, uh, man, I, I came back and I was excited about, uh, you know, the opportunities, um, how to integrate faith and work, uh, being now in my 40s at that time, um, and, f- and trying to figure out what's the next steps, what God had for me. You know, I'm I'm in, I'm intrigued, um, and we'll talk about you know I think what you just said about ministry and and work, and, and we'll get to there and just some tangible ways to, to really do that. But but on the business side, what were some of the when you walked into it, some of the key differences right out of the gate where you, that you noticed culturally, but also maybe uh, and I don't, I don't know this to actually be true. Maybe there was a Walmart way to do things that did not resonate. Uh, in that culture, were there any of those instances where you're going, "Hey, we've got to completely change here because of cultural differences"? Oh yeah, I mean, I, we could probably talk an hour on that uh, <laughs> about culture differences between China and uh, and the U.S. and Walmart and Walmart U.S. and Walmart China. And, and while I worked for Procter and Gamble, big part of my responsibility uh, in Asia was to make sure that uh, we were being uh, a good resource to Walmart. The Procter and Gamble and Walmart had this really special relationship, and uh, you know Henry Ho in Asia was an investment by Procter and Gamble uh, to uh, Walmart startup in Asia, and so I I was put there and I I was given uh, the opportunity to build a multifunctional team just like we had in the U.S. to help Walmart be successful in developing their business. And, and getting uh, closer to the consumer and, and so forth. So a uh, big part of my job was to help Walmart break through in China, understanding the consumer, um, facilitating the Procter & Gamble Walmart relationship there and making sure that um, you know, a lot of the strategic initiatives that we were working on in the U.S. Uh, could carry over um, into uh, into China in the same way, uh, Walmart had leaders that they had in place uh, who worked with me directly to facilitate that relationship as well. And I had full access to uh, the president of Walmart Asia, and so the the two of us uh, became friends and we worked very closely together. Well, Henry, you were with P&G for 19 years, and then your career began to diversify with helping a number of companies uh, launch. And uh, tell, tell our listeners about that. Tell us about that transition and how that came to be. Yeah, I came back and I, I spent a better part of a year really kind of assessing what I wanted to do next 
uh, in coming back um, to, to the United States. Um, and the one area that I wanted to uh, uh, kind of build my career on next uh, was at the time, in 1999, the hottest thing that was going on was uh, e-commerce and grocery e-commerce. You guys remember that. Um, and Amazon was just a young company at that time. And so companies like Webvan and Peapod and a few others were about to break open the e-commerce business. And uh, and so I, I, I became a member of the P&G uh, global e-commerce team. And... Uh, P&G actually were, uh, was actually uh, asking me to, to consider moving to San Francisco. Um, and I looked at houses in the San Francisco area, um, and I think there was a 1,500-square-foot fixer-upper uh, for a million two uh, back in the 20, uh, in the 2000, uh, you know, dollar terms. You know, uh, those would be a couple million dollars now. Um, and... Uh, could, could not see it, uh, could not make it work in my mind. Um, and I said, you know, how about if I moved back to Fayetteville, Arkansas, and did the job there? That's not a big deal today in today's environment, right? But that was a pretty big deal. Um, and I, I rejoined the global Walmart team as the e-commerce leader for, uh, for Walmart, Sam's, and all the international e-commerce activity that was taking place. And, uh, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great reentry. I, it was a great year, but you guys remember what happened in 2000, uh, the internet bubble bursted, um, and Webvan and all those other startups, uh, basically just ran out of juice. Um, and, uh, I was asked to, uh, lead other parts of the business. They were going to downsize the e-commerce team. Um, I was offered some different things to do uh, at that time. And uh, it was at that time that I, I met uh, uh, another uh, part, a partner of mine, a guy named Bill Waitsman. Um, and Bill and I were in the same Bible study at Procter & Gamble. And we started just kind of dreaming about how to, how to start something unique, something different. And uh, so we got together and... Um, at that time, there was an opportunity to leave the company uh, with a package, which has never happened before at the time. Um, P&G was going through a downsizing and wanted to, uh, you know, basically thin out its ranks a little bit, but uh, made an offer. Anybody who wanted to leave could potentially apply for the package. So we, we both applied and um, left and, and uh, basically used the package as seed money to start our first company, North Star Partnering Group. Um, as, and Jacob and, and Glenn, as you know, North Star Partnering Group uh, was kind of the uh, initial group, and then out of that came Harvest, you know. And Bill and uh, Ross Cully uh, started Harvest Group um, and carried a lot of the DNA that we, we created uh, at North Star forward and, and out of that, uh, other things have come, come out of that. So it's been fun to see how God uses, uh, you know, us and our ventures, um, uh, to just con continue to further the kingdom in the business world. Wow. Wow. That's cool. Uh, you know, a tiny little com company there in, uh, Fayetteville. <laughs> and I say that with extreme sarcasm, uh, they, they've, they've done, uh, extremely well. And he was a, a great guest on. And so if you haven't listened to his episode, go back and, and find that for sure. Um, 
Well, okay. So, so uh, as as an entrepreneur and and somebody that has uh, had the fortune of starting a business, you look back at, at your career. You, you've had big corporate job, and then you've had startup uh, and and very successful startups uh, and multiple of them. If if you're talking to our listeners and and you could go back and and talk to Henry in thirties and four when you're in thirties and your forties and you say, listen, these are the lessons you're going to learn. Uh, what are some of those good and bad lessons that you've learned about the, the startup world? Yeah, wow. Um, you know, I, I, the, as, as you know, I love that whole scenario just painted. How do I go and encourage young business leaders to become entrepreneurs? Uh, I truly believe an entrepreneur uh, who loves the Lord Jesus um, and is kingdom minded has incredible opportunities to impact the kingdom. So that's that's like like a hobby or a life pursuit of mine now, right? I I, I like to I like to get around some younger guys and just continue the poor vision about how they can use their business skills. Not that you can't do it in a corporate setting. There's a lot of guys and gals that I know that have done it, uh, but there's nothing like being an entrepreneur and being. Uh, the one who has to make payroll and the one who, uh, you know, gets to, to kind of strategize where your business is going. And, uh, and then in, in the same vein, you get to do and decide what you do with the gifts and the assets and the, uh, the revenues and profits that uh, you're given, right? Um, and uh, so that's the most thrilling thing for me. Uh, I was built for this. I felt like... like over the last 20 years, I was like, Lord, I, you have prepared me for this season. And uh, it's been a great 20-year run, and I look forward to a few more years of that. But to answer your question, um, I think you got to surround yourself with good support and, uh, and good partners. Um, and uh, so I, I am not a, a sole proprietor uh, kind of entrepreneur. I am a partnership guy, right? I like... Uh, and want to be in community and to build things through community. Um, and so that's a, that's a critical aspect of kind of my wiring and DNA and is, um, that we really believe that we get more done through, uh, through a partnership uh, arrangement than kind of making, being the guy who makes all the calls and, and takes all the shots, right? Um, and, um, the one thing I, I would say, um, you know, surrounding yourself with good people and partners is, is that's been a, that's been a learning journey for me. Uh, we, we had a big kingdom vision, uh, and wanted to do, uh, things that I think that were much closer to my heart and where God was kind of moving me. And I, I real I, I, I had to learn that not everybody saw it the same way, um, and were willing to make the same kind of sacrifices at that point in their life. I think if, you know, if somebody took me in my 25, 20s and 30s and said, hey, would you be willing to make this sacrifice for the kingdom? Uh, I like to think that I would, but I probably wouldn't have, you know. Uh, and as I got older and kind of God was working my heart more, uh, I was able to make some of those decisions for me and my family. But I, I was trying to, in, in early parts of entrepreneurship, was hoping and praying that everybody saw it the same way um, and structured our company in a way that 
hey, you know what, we don't need to make all that money. You know, we, we want to give more of that away. And those are noble goals. Uh, but um, I think if, if I had to do some of that over again, I would say, you know what, pay your people really well um, and do what you can uh, from your own personal point of view. Uh, but maybe not think that, hey, because we're paying you less, we can give more away. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that, that was that was a really important lesson because we, we had lost some people along the way uh, that just weren't ready for that stage, right? Um, and um, uh, we've come a long way in that, um, in understanding that. I think that's one of the things as I look at Ross and what he's done. Uh, you know, he's done really well uh, in terms of grabbing good people and uh, taking care of them um, and still maintaining uh, kind of those core kingdom principles uh, in operating a, a company. But those, that, that was probably a mistake I think we made early on uh, and had to adjust along the way. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, when you, when you start um, this idea of bare bones and, and let's scrap everything together, and sometimes uh, the right thing and the right person is, is absolutely worth paying more money for. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you go create a bigger company and you can go do more things with that money. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's tough to look at that budget and go, ah, let's stretch it a little bit and get that person <laughs> over here, you know, because um, you're right. Not, not everybody, um, you know, uh, my wife used to remind me constantly when we started uh, our cleaning company, nobody cares as much as you care. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's, it's wrong for me to assume uh, that they care and they, and they shouldn't care as much as I care. Right. I mean, I, that's totally fine and acceptable. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, it's a tough, long lesson to learn for sure. Yeah. Henry, such rich comments from you today, and I'm, I'm also encouraged, and I, I know many of our listeners are, because often when you think about entrepreneurship, uh, the, the, the solo flight is often what comes to mind. Uh, we have some friends who are at the other end of the spectrum. They Their investment strategy is to be involved in a lot of enterprises, but in a very small way. And I think you found a very sweet spot where you find like-minded leaders collaborate and build new ventures, new ideas, and, um, and, and dream dreams together. Tell us about Field Agent. Uh, tell us what that organization is about, how that got started. Yeah, Field Agent. Uh, so we... We launched in April of 2010, but the idea really came up, up out in uh, January of 2009. Uh, you think about 2009, you're about 18 months into the iPhone, um, an iPhone 3GS, right? Um, and um, it, it doesn't do nearly what it does today. We all have loved the journey that we've been on with with Apple uh, and the capabilities that it has given us. But one of the capabilities that it had was the ability to uh, geocode where people are uh, when they take pictures and, and so forth. So I was sitting at lunch one day um, and uh, with, an, uh, with another friend and uh, that came out of the CPG industry and we were lamenting how bad the data that was available to uh, to the different uh, leaders that are in the industry because you could never tell where that information came from and when it was gotten. And there's just a lot of gray data. Uh, the data generally was directionally maybe correct, 
but you could never take a data point and say that came from that store at that time in that moment. Uh, so in, in the CPG industry, people want to know if their displays are up, you know, uh, what's the price point, um, you know, what's my competition's distribution, uh, just a lot of different things that you want to know about what's going on in stores. Um, and as big chains like Walmart and Kroger and CVS and Walgreens and so forth, um, it's really hard to get your arms around that. You, you may get some of that POS data that comes off, um, you know, the, the register, but really to understand in-store conditions, there wasn't a really a good solution out there. And we looked at our little 3GS and we said, oh my gosh, we could empower consumers, everyday consumers and shoppers to go in stores to collect that information. And uh, that idea was birthed that, hey, let's just use everyday shoppers. They are, they're already in the stores uh, or they're very close to stores and let's get them to collect information. We would pay them for that information and charge our clients to collect that information for them. And we would provide better, faster, broader coverage, right? Higher quality data to the industry. And that's the, that was the idea that germinated, right? Uh, uh, field agent. And I ran back to the office after lunch grabbed my partners and talked all afternoon about this idea. And uh, at that time, we were running North Star and Core 4, and um, we said, this is a really good idea. Why don't we do some research and see if anybody else is doing it, right? That's like, um, and after a week, let's get back and see what we find. After a week, we got back, and uh, we said nobody could find anything on Google. So if it didn't happen in Google, it didn't happen, right? Right. Um, right. And, um, you know, we didn't find anybody doing that idea. And we said, you know, somebody has to be doing this. It's one of those things, right? It's such a good idea. Someone is doing it. It's a long story short. Nobody was doing it. And we had a bunch of months go by. And by June of that year, we said, you know what? We would be crazy not to pursue this. Right. And so we said, OK, we are going to set up a schedule. My partner, Rick, who's our CEO, um, um, said, let's just put uh, some structure. So we would work nights and weekends um, and let's just start uh, seeing what we can do to develop this as a business idea. And we're, cr we're just crazy enough to try stuff. And uh, and so. We did. We uh, we brought uh, our third partner in, a guy named Kelly Miller, uh, and Kelly and 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 uh, had worked with us in developing uh, different code and, and systems for us as part of North Star. And we knew we needed somebody to d develop that, and we didn't. We wanted to bring an owner in uh, in that area. So, long story, uh, we went into development the second half of two thousand nine. And by March of 2010, it was ready to go. Um, and at that time, Apple's uh, App Store had maybe 10,000 apps, you know. And we didn't know if it was going to get approved in, in a week or six months wow. uh, because there was such a huge backlog. And um, we, were, we were blessed to have it approved in less than a month, I think. Um, and we, we decided to launch on April the 17th, 2010, which was, which was a very interesting day. We, uh, we launched it on a Friday night, uh, just quietly, 
right? So that if the if the system would crash, the app would crash, we would have all weekend to fix it before Monday. Um, and it didn't it didn't crash, um, and we had preceded some work in there, and had some clients already uh, locked in, and. Uh, it was amazing night uh, and weekend. We saw the downloads just just automatically come up, and uh, we thought the, the the downloads would come mostly in Northwest Arkansas where we were working. Um, and uh, overnight and throughout the weekend, we saw downloads across the country, um, and we we said there's something going on here. Uh, people are finding our app and wanting to make money using our app. So Field Agent is an app. Uh, that uh, uh, enables everyday shoppers to make money. It's what we call crowdsourcing the shopper base. Uh, we now have over 2 million downloads. Uh, we're in operating in uh, seven countries outside of the U.S., about to add our eighth country, um, and we're collecting information for our clients around the world. Um, we just had a, a large uh, bulk, uh, large retailer here in the U.S. today uh, kind of spot. Uh, put a project for us to do some uh, work for them in three countries outside the U.S. So, okay, so ju just breaking it down to basics. I download the app. I go into store. I go to Walmart or I go, I go somewhere and I want to buy something. Am I taking a picture of it and submitting info of why I bought it, where I was, and that kind of stuff? Yeah, it really depends on what the client is looking for in Got terms it. of information. You're, you are the agent, and we have clients. So, Clients are people who pay us uh, money to go collect information for them, Got it. right, and tell them what's going on. Uh, agents are people who uh, have the app and are saying, hey, I'll, I'll give you five minutes, 20 minutes of my time to earn some side cash, you Got know. Um, and um, so, yeah, we bring those two communities together, and they mutually benefit each other, and we make money along the way. Are you, do you pay them as the company, or does the, the the client company pay the individual? No, the client company pays us. We make a nice margin, and then we pay the agents awesome. for their work. Wow. Yeah. That, so, that's, the, that's the simplistic way of, mo of the model. We probably now, have I, some I, listeners wanting to know, how do you become an agent? Yeah. Field, fieldagent.net. Just go, just go type that in. Um, that's our company, and we're in both the Apple's uh, App Store and the Google Store. Uh, so that's very easy to get to, and we, we run on Android and uh, iOS. So, yeah. Well, to, our, to our listeners, we'll have uh, those links <laughs> in the show notes below. So so this might be our most listened to show uh, after the word gets out of, of <laughs> downloading. If I see a surge, uh, right, if I see a right. surge in, we'll, in, in agent we'll, downloads, we'll know. That's right. We'll that's have right. to. We'll have to bring you to lunch or something. That's it. That's it. That's right. Uh, now I've I've got to ask a question. Uh, as as um, so I've got I've, you know got the company we run and a couple other things that we're starting up. As you as you research, like so, so you have an idea, right? Idea goes off in your head, and you're like, all right, that's a good idea. Let's pursue that. And it comes to the point where you go and you research it. Do you have this pit in your stomach the entire time you're researching to see if there's another company out there doing it? I get, I get anxious because in my head it's like somebody's got to be doing this already, clearly. And you just don't want to find that company? Uh, yeah. do, 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 do you share that, that uh, same yeah. thought? Oh, yeah. I, I have, I'm, I'm a dreamer. I'm an idea creator. I've had lots of those pit moments, right, yes. where somebody else is doing it. But, you know, we live in such a great country and it's such a great world today where just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean you can't do it too. Yep. 
and bring a different angle, a different facet to that business. In fact, we had some very quick followers uh, to market. Um, and today, the field agent idea is is really all around the world. Uh, last night, I was on online and uh, found a company called uh, that's based in in Hong Kong. Uh, following our, you know, following our steps, uh, we, we partner with uh, a group in Germany. We partner with a group in Asia and, and to get coverage uh, that we're not in, uh, in geographies that are, uh, that we're not currently planning to go. So uh, it's a big world uh, and a big idea. And uh, we're, uh, we're continuing to innovate that space. Well, you've had the opportunity, obviously, to, to build multiple organizations that have employed a lot of great people. And, and you've had the chance to work with a lot of great people. And, you, and you've mentioned that one of your passions and your hobbies is reinvesting back into the next generation of leaders. What are some of those traits you look for in, the, in younger leaders within your organization, individuals that you mentor, that you go, man, I tell you what, uh, you, you may have it, whatever it is in, in that category. What, what are some of those traits? You know, I, I think curiosity um, and uh, passion. I'm as I'm a passionate person. I I, uh, I like ideas, and uh, so when I find someone who's who's constantly curious, and 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 a lot of times they'll just come and want to spend some time together, right? And we go out and grab coffee or lunch, and we talk ideas and and whatnot. Um, I, I uh, I'm also looking uh, for men and women of character. Um, and, um, um, you know, so through discipleship and mentoring, I get to know some of these people and they, they may not at the time, uh, know that they're going to be a future entrepreneur. Uh, but I'm always kind of getting them to consider new ideas and, uh, and asking them to discuss kind of what, what, what dreams they have, right. And how can, how can they accomplish that? And, uh. So it's been fun. A lot, lot of the young men and women that I've uh, mentored over the years, I'm starting to see them moving into entrepreneurial lanes. Um, and sometimes it's just a side gig, you know, at first. And sometimes it's like, I'm about to leave this job and, go, I'm, you know, uh, I'm ready to go. And that's, that's the juiciest time, right? It's like, let's go. I am totally available to you, man. Just call me day and night, man, right? Uh, let's go. Let's uh, what, whatever business idea you have, let's just go kick it around and let me connect you to other people who may be able to help you, you know, Love it. along the way. Henry, I'm thinking about COVID and I'm thinking about field agent and I could see where the decline in store visits could negatively impact, but I could also see where the value of field agent during COVID and what was happening in stores across America, especially in other parts of the world, how that could be increasing in value. So, so tell our listeners about the impact COVID has had on field agent. Yeah, COVID, um, obviously there was uh, a, a little bit of a dip, um, in that March, April, May time uh, in 2020, uh, when COVID came, where uh, nobody could find any toilet paper and uh, the world was completely upside down. Um, but it didn't dry up, I can tell you that. Um, you know, we, we saw a little bit of downturn um, and it came back very nicely, um, you know, uh, shortly after, uh, because people knew that. They, they still needed to get to uh, to the store 
and get things. And they, uh, there, there, there was a lot of uh, reasons why we kept going because in some of our competitors uh, that relied on employees, um, they couldn't get their people in the stores. Um, and uh, we were just sending consumers who were wearing masks and whatnot into stores as they were shopping. Uh, and um, so, yeah, we still collected information. We still wanted to know what consumers think about these situations. Uh, a lot of people wanted to know if their stores were operating under the new COVID rules. Uh, so we had retailers wanting to know those things. Um, and nobody could get out and really see anything, right? And we always tell, tell people, we're your eyes and ears, man. Uh, if you want to know what's really going on in your store, uh, we can help you understand that. And so COVID uh, was, was, was a bit of a, a, a provide a bit of a slowdown, but uh, it also helped us to uh, build some trusting relationships during that time because people came to us in, in need of, of visibility of, of their business. Henry, we're recording this uh, right on the, uh, just a couple of days before uh, the beginning of November. Tell our listeners what you're seeing and the data that you're gathering from Field Agent as far as additional breaks in the supply chain. What, 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 when you go to the store, what are you stocking up on? <laughs> uh, um, I've, I've normalized secrets. I've normalized my purchases, you know, and my my secret closet is stocked. No, I'm, I'm only kidding. Um, no, uh, people continue to be very concerned. Uh, you know, leaders in the leading brands and leading retailers care very much about what's going on. Um, you know, the the supply chain uh, challenges that we're seeing are very real. And we now have clients who not only want us to go in periodically to see what's going on, uh, they want to they want to understand um, what consumers think about certain things about uh, the inventory shortages and so forth. So, and what is a household uh, pantry inventory and so forth? So they're measuring a little further upstream uh, to understand, like, hey, how much did you used to store, and how much are you storing now? And that is really part of their forecasting models, right? Uh, they want to see what's going on in the stores, but man, they really want to see what's going on in your homes, right? Um, and, you know, um, and I bet you there's a lot of people with a little bit extra uh, of the key items in their lives. Uh, I know I have a little bit extra on a few things. Uh, yes, for sure. Yes. Uh, we all do. Right when, right when uh, Lysol wipes came back <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. to the world uh yeah. my wife had to stay stop stop we we yeah. have enough uh and, and yeah. so it was uh a little bit of a you know ptsd buying i guess but uh it's it was crazy still is crazy i mean it's i was still, at an event this weekend and super nice event and they wanted to give everybody there something and the guy had to say listen it's an empty box in your bag because what we have is stuck in the port in la and so uh we'll mail it to you yeah. You know, it's just, it's the, the weird things like that. You know, in the supply chain world, you build towards, you know, predictable consumption. Um, you know, and you, you may run a promotion here and there, and it gooses up the business a little bit. But when, when the whole world decides they want something, 
you never have enough supply and you never have the right supply in the right place and uh and uh all the things that go with that you know so and and especially when the world decides weird things that it needs you know the most of yes that can't that can't be explained so what's weird for you jacob is weird for some maybe not be weird for somebody else right and and so uh, so everything is weird in in some way, right? Well, and, and, and now you get the whole buying of you're watching somebody else buy, and you go, uh, "Wait, do I need uh, to be buying that?" Uh, and and you're, you're you're paying attention more to the person next to you because he may, he or she may know yeah. something that you don't know. Why, why is she buying three of those? Right. Yeah, I need one of those. Well, and I think this conversation is really kind of neat because it's gone full circle. Uh, Henry, you were right there on the cutting edge of the explosion of of the supply chain uh, deepening in a rich way uh, in the uh, Pacific Rim region and all throughout Asia and, uh, and and that portion of the world. And so now we've created this great alliance on it. And not only that, we've created great dependence on our West Coast deepwater seaports to be able to unload those ships fast enough. And so much of our supply to this nation comes through the West Coast mm-hmm. now because yeah. of what's happened in, in China and Thailand and Vietnam and Korea and, and, and many of those other countries in that that very important region and so it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes it uh, to level back out but I think we're getting there I hope we are yeah you know our friends in this community our big corporate uh, friends like Walmart and JB Hunt uh, they've benefited from from this you know uh, JB Hunt if you look at their stock it's it's rocking and rolling you know uh, they're in the transportation business and there's just not enough trucks and truckers um, and Walmart has benefited because they're everywhere and they have basically a pretty good reliable supply um, and they they have good processes um, but um, not, not everybody has been fared as well and uh, we're all we're all needing things that aren't aren't here yet or sitting in the water um, and um, yeah it's gonna be a very interesting Christmas season our, our business always peaks in the fourth quarter so we're we're heading into November and December for us a field agent, and everybody wants to know what's going on. And so uh, more so than ever, uh, we're helping uh, businesses understand what's going on in the in the retail world. Yeah. Well, we've alluded to it and we've, we've talked about it a few times, but but one of the things that, that you do so well is is tying business in with ministry and how you don't mm-hmm. see those two things as, as separate things. What encouragement would you give to our listeners and, and practical advice, uh, young leaders, older leaders, uh, anybody in their just work life of, of how you, you don't have to separate those two things? And so, so what would you say uh, to those individuals listening? Yeah, I... I think it's uh, you know we, there's a lot of lot of conversation uh, taking place about being authentic, and being an authentic Christian, uh, a follower of Jesus, uh, is really at, at at the heart of it, being that right. And there's no separation between the uh, Monday through Friday Henry Ho, and the Sunday Henry Ho, right and. Uh, uh, if you're being authentic, you you are going to be following uh, the principles and the precepts of the word, um, and so live it out, right? Uh, and where there is uh, maybe some mask and duplicity, uh, have people around you that can encourage you, um, and uh, 
you know, step forward into the uncomfortable. One of the fun things I do every year uh, for the last 10 years is I have this thing called the Cold Shower Club. I saw a TED Talk uh, about that time. And every, every year, all the people around me knows that Henry's going to be coming in and say, you can do in the show Cold Shower Club with me this year? You know, so we do it for 30 days. And uh, May 1st to May 30th, the really good guys do it through the 31st, you know. Um, but we, we do 30 days of cold showers. And that encourages us. Now, if you only look at it, the physical part of it, then you miss the whole thing, right? But the idea of a cold shower is stepping into the uncomfortable and the unknown a little bit, right? It's a little bit of the entrepreneur's journey. Uh, but it's also uh, a journey into spiritual development and faith uh, of understanding, hey, that which is uncomfortable is usually where the Lord is calling us into, mm. right? Whether it's to help your fellow man uh, that live in your community that need a little uh, helping hand up, uh, you know, mentoring somebody and taking time to do that, um, and 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 loving your coworkers when you may not always agree, and and. All the other things that that are part of uh, seeking first the kingdom, right? And it's a it's a journey into the uncomfortable. And so every year we we do this thirty day uh, cold shower club, and uh, I talk about that a lot. And you know, we get a lot of laughs, and people people look at you like I could never do that, man. I said I think you can. And so I I sold this cold shower club in Denver last week when I was there to a young lady uh, and I got into a conversation and she says, you know what, just because no other women are doing it, I'm going to do it. I said, <laughs> I will check back with you next May. We'll see how you do. But yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a kind of a fun thing, but it's also a serious thing about, you know, how, how do you integrate your faith and your work? Well, you, you walk forward. And you uh, you live out some of the core principles of life, uh, of of, uh, of biblical principles, uh, of how do you manage money, right? How do you manage your time? And uh, in, and nowadays is what power do you give away? What decision rights do you 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 not take and you give to someone else, uh, right? As we think about how do you really encourage and build young leaders? Well, you. You got to you got to get power and decision making up, and uh, I've been on that journey over the last six or seven years of giving that away and and learning how to how to be an influencer and leader without having that right. When you have it, give it away, uh, and when you don't have it, uh, build your uh, build your skills and 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 uh, experiences so that you you have it so that you can give it away. Right, Henry, I have the pleasure of teaching uh, grad students uh, in the MBA program at Baylor, and uh, we had a guest speaker in a couple of weeks ago, Eric Evans. Uh, Eric is the president and CEO of Surgery Partners uh, across the U.S., and he was telling these students that when they have job opportunities in front of them, and especially if they have choices, to take the job that makes you least comfortable. Take the job that makes you least comfortable. And I think yeah. I think that aligns very well with what you're saying. Well, as we uh, headed into home uh, today with our podcast, one of the things that we love to do with our guests so that our listeners can get to know them uh, even better uh, called Rapid Fire Questions. And Jacob has our first one. All right. Henry, what is the best and worst advice you have ever been given? 
You know, anytime somebody tells me it's easy, I think it's bad advice. Uh, I have I have developed a life saying, and, and again, those who know me, I, I have the saying that nothing is easy, everything's hard, and it takes longer than you think. And and uh, and uh, certainly in life, looking like uh, a true entrepreneur there. Yeah, that's that's a. <laughs> I, I learned that in Asia actually when I was working in a different culture and realizing how challenging everything is. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the cultural differences. When you jump into a different cultural setting, what you think you know, you don't know. Um, and there's a long way and, and the path of humility is great. Uh, so yeah, nothing's easy. So anybody who promised you something is easy, don't go, don't go there. Right? <laughs> Henry, who are the most influential people in your life? You know, I, I, it's at this stage in my life, um, it's, it's been an interesting, I, if you would ask me, you know, in, in, in my corporate days, uh, there were certain leaders that were very influential. Um, but in this stage of my life, in my 60s, I am learning so much from my kids, right? It's been a, a reversal. Uh, you know, it, I've been on a journey of trying to listen a lot more and to just observe what they're seeing because there was a there's a point in time where I said I just don't get it. They don't see anything like anything like I see. Uh, Glenn, you you may be going through that same thing too. You know, and I'm learning so much from my kids because my kids are good people and they're really smart and uh, they're just seeing the world from a different point of view. And they're really taking me on a, on a journey and challenging me in a very good way. And I'm also uh, learning a lot in this late, these later years as uh, for my wife, you know. And it's, again, I, I mean, if you'd asked me that 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been the case, right? Um, and and we're learning to listen to each other more. We're going through a journey this year. We're um, we're reading the Bible together, the two of us. For the very first time, we've been married 38 years, and the conversations that we can have together and listening to her heart and things that she sees. Uh, so, yeah, those are the influential people in my life these days. That's good. Henry, what is the best or most meaningful place you've ever visited? Wow. Uh, I've been blessed to see a lot of interesting places. So, um you know, uh, it's not, I can tell you, I love, I love, I'm like, go Razorbacks, go red, right? I'm a big Northwest Arkansas fan. Um, but I would tell you it's in the places where there are the downtrodden. Uh, so places in India uh, and places in Tibet and where business and ministry took me and to see what, um, what collaborative work partnerships look like when uh, we in the West come and want to uh, build community with uh, the downtrodden to create opportunity and to see the growth of, of, of people uh, by working together across cultures. And so, yeah, I, I Rajput, India, and uh, Yushu, China, to the Tibetan plateaus were most interesting. It's still very interesting. I, I haven't been to back to Tibet in a long time, but uh, but Rajpur is still a very, very special place for me. 
you, you know, it's interesting too because I think you're also speaking of the joy that you see in mm-hmm. those people's yeah. hearts. And if the, the logical mind would say you would find joy easily in America because you have all these resources, you have all this economic opportunity, you have just any convenience that you would want in life. Yeah, and isn't it refreshing when we visit those remote places and we see people living uh, from day to day uh, and not sure where tomorrow's meal will come from. And yet there's that genuine joy that's yeah. in their heart for sure. Well, Henry, tell us uh, maybe something that you've learned from your parents. Hmm. You know, I, I come from a very interesting uh, family background. My dad was really not in my life. Um, and so my mom is my hero. Uh, she was a single mom of four, uh, worked multiple jobs. And uh, uh, so my mom's kind of my hero. She's passed. Um, both, in fact, both Nancy and, and me, we both lost all of our parents. So we're, we're the elders. Um, but, um, you know, what, what she said to me and, and, and some, something that's kind of been defining for me, she just, just keep life simple. You know, she worked so hard, um, and she didn't have a lot and, uh, but she kept it simple and, uh, and I think that's uh, that's been for me. It's like let's not over complicate, over complex our lives. You know, I rem- I, I always think back. I love the parable of the soils. You know, uh, the cares of the world can overcome us, but man, if we can keep things simple and focused on the things that really matter, uh, it can go a long ways to bringing that joy you're talking about. Right? You get time with people and you. Uh, you get to do some good things and fun things along the way. Yeah. Well, what book are you reading right now? Um, I'm reading a couple of different books. Some some might be surprising to some of my friends. Um, um, I'm reading a book called Reparations, um, and uh, it's, I'm, I'm seeing uh, uh, some different points of view in in that book. I've read the book Fault Lines. Um, and then I'm reading a, a book called A Church Called Tove. Um, and uh, we're about to kind of jump into that a little bit more in the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, those, those are three. They're really different books and have really different ideas, I can tell you that. Audiobook guy or a hard, uh, You know, yeah, in the last six months, I've, I've been a, become an audiobook guy. Um, I get on my bike and I put on and... You know, a two-hour ride will give you a lot of uh, a lot of book. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, besides the Bible, Henry, how about the best book that you've ever read? Wow. Um, you know, the book that I I, I point out to a lot of guys I disciple and and mentor. Um, you know, money, possessions, and eternity. Um, and I, I, I truly believe I give. I like to give a lot of talk to uh, those topics for for believers, uh, for followers of Jesus, because I think in our culture, um, if you don't get that right, if you don't get an understanding of what money and what possessions do to us, uh, in reading through the Bible this year, over and over again, God is speaking to us about the idols in our lives, and um, and I think. Uh, 
sometimes we in America lost our way uh, because of that. We're so prosperous and we have so much opportunity. I think sometimes uh, we just have not addressed that properly. Um, and so I try to point uh, young men and young women towards that and uh, making sure that they, they deal with that issue on the front end. Because if you can deal with it, uh, I, I started dealing with it in, a, in a, the right way in my 40s, so the last 20 years or so. Um, and it's, it's still, you know, it's still a bit of a point of contention. And uh, I think while I'm alive, I'm probably still have that, but uh, I've dealt with it. And uh, I think it's a really important. Well, it's such an important issue and uh, topic. Uh, if you go back and track the words of Christ that are recorded in the Bible, uh, yeah. we've all heard this, I'm sure, that uh, the, the number one topic that Jesus talked about the most was money, mm. uh, because it is such a, an important element of our life, and it can be such a positive element, and it also can be a destructive one, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, Henry, uh, I'm intrigued uh, uh, to get this answer for the next question. Best and worst job you've ever had? <laughs> oh, um. You'd be surprised at what my best job was. Okay. Um, um, you know, I, I'm, it's, it's going to be a bit of a cop out when I say there are no bad jobs; it's just learning experiences, right? Um, sure. Sure. But I don't, I don't really have a bad job. Um, you know, I loved my college days working um, in. I worked three jobs in college. I worked in the uh, in the school cafeteria because I was on a grant and I had to work study. Uh, burned my hands every day taking dishes off the uh, the assembly line. All right, um, and then I worked. My favorite job was at, at a steakhouse called the Peddler Steakhouse uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. You guys may know because you're Spartanburg, right? Yes. Um, and I was uh, I started as a busboy as as a pledge, um, and then worked my way up to uh, head waiter. And then um, uh, even kind of subbed in for the, the store manager, the restaurant manager on his day off. Uh, but I learned every job there. I loved the system of pulling our tips into a bucket uh, and working as a team uh, each night. And at the end of the night, we would divide the tips based on roles. And then the, the waiters would tip out to the busboy at the end of the night based on his uh, you know, his uh, go get, you know, kind of his his uh, ability to kind of take care of the customer by filling water and clearing ta uh, plates. But I love that experience of teamwork um, and being in it together. Uh, the Peddler Steakhouse still has a, has the rating as being my favorite job. Have you been back since college? Yeah. I, I, you have time for me to tell one last story? Sure. sure. So my, my daughter ended up going to Furman. Uh, and she resisted all through her life, but her mom and dad went to Furman. And so we, we were talking to them. We would go to Hilton Head and then stop off in Greenville, Greenville just for fun, you know. Uh, but she said she didn't want anything to do with it. And then her senior year, fall semester, she said, you know, I'd like to take a look at Furman. And I dropped everything and said, let's go. You know? <laughs> uh, and she applied. Um, and um, I, I don't even know what the question is, but, uh, oh, yeah, my, the job. 
So I, I went back to the Peddler Steakhouse on her graduation, right? And, uh, and it was our celebrating, celebration dinner. And uh, the, the cutter came with the, 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 uh, the tray of meat, right? Right. And uh, I got up at the moment and I said, I used to do your job. And uh, this is like, like 30 years past, right? I said, would you do me the honor and let me put this apron on and the cap and let me serve my table? And uh, so I got to cut the steaks and I, I got to serve the table and it was just a thrill. Uh, to go back to my college job and when my, my daughter was graduating. And that night, I just had the big old smile on my face and said, you know, the Lord is good. I, I've gone full circle. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That is great. What is next for Henry Ho? You know, I, I love my board work. Uh, one, one of the thrills, we don't have time to talk about the Accelerate Foundation, but we're, uh, we're doing so many good things. I'm, uh, I've... Uh, been honored to serve as this board chair, uh, but we're doing some great things in the community with Northwest Arkansas around affordable housing and upskilling and diverse social networks and so forth. But yeah, I'm, I, I think I'd like to help some young leaders uh, as they start companies. Um, you know, I, I'm in for at field agent for, for a bit longer and uh, but yeah, I like to be involved in, uh, I have a lot of, of uh, new business ideas and I think I'm gonna continue to do those kinds of things. May not have to be running him, but I uh, like to be in the startup phase. I love it, I love it. Well, Henry, uh, wow, man, it was such an honor to get and sit and talk to you today and, and just learn more about your story and uh, just hear uh, nuggets of wisdom. So thank you just so much for sitting down and talking to us today, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Well, and to our listeners, we're going to have all the links uh, to Henry's info and to Field Agent. So make a mad dash down to the show notes below uh, and download that app uh, and you can start making some money. But uh, and as always, to our listeners, thank you for listening today. Our guest today, Henry Ho of Field Agent. Thanks so much for being with us, Henry. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Make sure that you subscribe, share our podcast with others, and follow us along on our Instagram account. Until next time, keep chasing what matters. <laughs>